Friends, uh, today's message, I am going to be talking more about the trip. And, you know, I, I'm very thankful to, uh, for Kaylin for sharing about what we did on the trip. And uh, so, you know, I get two main questions when, uh, you know, we say that our, our church is, is um, you know, involved in Central Asia and that we're going to Kyrgyzstan. And the two main questions I get is, number one, what Kaylin answered, which is, what are you going to do, Right. And then the second question that I get the most often is, why Central Asia? Why would you go halfway across the world? And that's what I'm going to try to answer here. And so let me tell you just a little bit about Central Asia. And so there are uh, uh, five countries that make up what most people consider Central Asia. It's like, you know, kind of like enclosed in, you know, uh, Russia and then China on the east. And so the biggest country by far, probably the one that most of you guys have heard, is Kazakhstan. Um, and then right below it is Kyrgyzstan, the one in orange. And then you have Uzbekistan, Turkmenistan, and Tajikistan. And so we call it Central Asia Missions because all of these countries are all involved in the same district in the United Methodist Church. And so there's a guy, I'll show you later, his name is Pastor Dima. That, that's actually his nickname. It's actually Dmitry Lysen. Uh, but he is uh, this young guy, he's like in his mid-30s, and he's the district superintendent over all five of these countries. But there are only uh, about 12 United Methodist churches in all of Central Asia. And actually, well, there's six churches slash fellowships in uh, uh, Kyrgyzstan. Half of them are in Kyrgyzstan, where we went. And so if you guys know a little bit about the history of Central Asia, it's a very interesting place. It is a place where East meets West. And historically, if you go back to the roots of, of Central Asia, a lot of it kind of rose to uh, preeminence uh, during the age of the Huns. And so if you guys know like your history, the Huns came first, and then later the Mongols, right, like Genghis Khan and all those people. Genghis Khan came like some like 700 years after the Huns. Uh, but it's very much this, this culture, and you see this kind of imagery everywhere in Kyrgyzstan. Uh, it, you know, you see like the horse and rider with the swords and you see like people with like hawks, you know, falconry is really big. Uh, there's lots and lots of horses um, in Central Asia. And if you guys know anything about that area, the horses like are a little bit smaller than American horses. But this was actually at a Kyrgyz restaurant that we went to. But like I said, uh, th this, this uh, imagery is everywhere. And I think Central Asia is very important uh, because it was this place where a lot of cultures met. If you guys know the Silk Road, that's where a lot of the trade happened between Europe and Asia. And the Silk Road goes through Central Asia, right? And so it is a very important area historically. But let me tell you a little bit more about Kyrgyzstan. Uh, so you can tell that it is like, you know, one of the smallest countries in Central Asia. Um, and, and this area, uh, it, Central Asia is very kind of new, at least in terms of what we understand as Central Asia now. Uh, because uh, for the longest time, they were part of the Soviet Union, right? But in the 90s, uh, the Soviet Union disbanded, and so then these countries became independent countries, right? And so in the 90s, um, if you guys uh, remember, uh, the, the Soviet Union really didn't like religion a lot, right? They really kind of clamped down on religion, and so, you, you know, they, they didn't really want people to be practicing it. Um, but when the, these countries became freed from the Soviet Union, now there's a vacuum, right? And traditionally, yes, there were a lot of different influences. But as you can imagine, there's like Islam, 
Christianity, even Buddhism, all these different things that are coming into Central Asia. But in the 90s, there's this vacuum. And who fills this vacuum? What religion do you think fills this vacuum? It's not Christianity. It's Islam, right? Islam just, just comes into this region like very, very strong, right? And so most of Central Asia, about 90% of all the people in Central Asia are Muslim, right? But actually, Kyrgyzstan is considered an open country in terms of religion, officially. Even though 90% is Muslim, right? You, you can't be a missionary in Kyrgyzstan. You can't say you're a missionary. You can be a Christian, right? But just because officially on the books they say, yes, you are allowed to have a church. You can register as a church in Kyrgyzstan. But the people may feel different. That's why, uh, as Kaylin was sharing, and she showed that picture of the church with the cross, that cross is like kind of obscured behind a tree, right? Because they said that, yeah, if there's a cross in a prominent place, they could be persecuted for that, right? And so uh, l- let me tell you a little bit about where we went in this area. So this is a, a map of uh, Kyrgyzstan, a little closer. And so if you see Bishkek, there on the very top, the north center, that's the capital, that's where we flew in, and that's where we spent a lot of our time. But we also traveled all throughout this area. And so, um, you know, Kaylin told you that we visited three different churches after the forum, but also uh, that first day uh, we went to Bishkek, and actually on Sunday before the forum, uh, we went to the Bishkek UMC. So we actually visited four churches, and our teams actually split on Sunday. And so one of the teams went to a place called Tokmok. Um, it's, it's kind of there uh, in the center there. Um, it's kind of hard to see, I, I know, on the slide. But Tokmok is a little farther east. Uh, the other three churches are west of Bishkek. And so we split uh, the teams, and half of the teams went to Tokmok, half the teams went to Bishkek. So all in all, we visited five churches. Okay? You might be wondering, like, why am I mentioning this? This seems like kind of random. It's not. Okay? So... Actually, four of those churches are proper churches, uh, UMC churches, established churches. One of them I'll talk more about in a moment is an emerging church. They call it like a Bible study fellowship, even though it really is a church, right? But they're not fully registered as a church. And then the other one we did not visit, uh, that one is even smaller. And so we visited five out of the six churches in Kyrgyzstan, which are half of the UMC churches in all of Central Asia. So I hope you're starting to get an idea of how small Christianity is in these countries, right? And so we visited this area in the red. This is kind of our circuit. So we started in Bishkek, and then we went to Issachol, that big lake that you see on the east side. It's humongous, like beautiful. Caitlin showed those beautiful pictures of where we stayed uh, for the forum. And then we came back to Bishkek, and then on Thursday visited those three churches that are west of Bishkek. And so this is where we visited. So uh, Bishkek is there in the middle. Tokmok we did not go to, but half of the team went to. And then these three churches that I'm going to talk about in a moment. So the first one that is west of Bishkek is called Belovosko. Uh, and by the way, uh, th- this is uh, when we visited Bishkek. Bishkek UMC is one of the biggest UMCs. Uh, Caitlin had a picture where you could see it's not a very big building. It is about half the size of our church, but it was jam-packed full of people. It was so packed. It was so hot. (laughs) And this is a picture uh, in in the center. uh, If you can see the woman in the ponytail, uh, that is Pastor Nelia, and she is the pastor of Bishkek UMC. 
Uh, and then the, the Korean woman that she has her hands on, uh, her name is Helen uh, Park. And Helen Park is the, the mother of Jonathan Park. He is the pastor that I was friends with who first told me about Central Asia. And her family is the reason why we are there. And so uh, it, it, I believe this was in the late 90s, late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, she and her husband were um, missionaries in Russia and in Central Asia. And at the time, her husband was doing all the missionary stuff. Um, and she didn't know Russian, she didn't know any English. Um, but her husband, uh, one night, uh, these, these young people uh, followed him and they jumped him and beat him so badly that he ended up dying. Now, what would you do if your husband was killed like that in a country that you don't know? You know what Helen Park did? She learned Russian. She learned English. She went to Kazakhstan, and she helped found a church there. And she has been serving there for decades. And she's still there. She's in her 80s. Normally, we actually go to Kazakhstan, and we visit her church in Ustabe. Uh, which has uh, people, local Kazakh people, um, but they also have a Korean community there because some of you may know that, uh, that, that uh, there were a bunch of Russians who left, uh, sorry, a bunch of Koreans who left um, Korea and they fled to Russia and they started a life there. But when Stalin came to power, he kicked them all out, right? And he kicked them out to the kind of the, the recesses, the, the, the outer edges of the Soviet Union. And a lot of them ended up in Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan, right? And so she uh, is part of a church, a ministry in Kazakhstan that is local Kazakh people, but also these kind of ethnic Koreans who, you know, I mean, they speak Russian, right? They're completely Kazakhstani, right? And so her faithful witness, right? Um, I, I heard that if you go to the, the airport in Almaty, which is the, the capital of Kyrgyzstan, um, they have like a wall of distinguished people in, uh, in Kazakhstan, and her picture is on that wall, right? Like, like the legacy that this family has left um, is just incredible. And so they have been working in this area, and it's because of them that we know about it, and we've been sending teams. And so this is uh, Belovosko that we went to visit. And some of you guys might rem remember this name. Um, so Kaylin did show some pictures of this. Uh, on the left, that's the, the pastor's house. And on the right, this is the church. And I just wanted to show you, that's the pastor's house. Nothing fancy, right? And nothing that really looks like a church. And, and this is actually the church. So I wanted you to see it from the outside and see it with people because it's really, really small. Like Kalen said, fits maybe 20 people. And you might remember this picture. Do you guys remember this during the pandemic? We showed this picture like every week for like three months. And so this is Edward and um, uh, this is Nastia, who at the time was his girlfriend. I think she was 19 in this picture, and he was like 22 or 23, right? And so that was like two years ago. And so now she's like 21, 22. He's like 25, something like that, right? And, and this is what they look like now. And so we actually got to hang out with them, right, and, and to visit them. Uh, this is them in their home. And this is me and Kaylin. We took a picture with Edward outside the greenhouse. And so during the pandemic, I asked uh, Pastor Dima, because we knew we wouldn't be able to go to Central Asia that year because of you know, COVID, and, and we asked him, how can we support you? What would be something that we could help support? And he told us about Edward. And he told us about this growing community in Belovosko that's mainly amongst young people, right? Remember, 90% Muslim, 
right? And, and so, and, and a lot of the churches, you know, traditionally, they would be older people, kind of from the Soviet era, right? Getting young people to come to church is a really big deal in a place like Kyrgyzstan, right? They are the future. Otherwise, Christianity, as far as we know it in Central Asia, literally dies, right? And so they are the future, right? And so he, he told us about this, this, this uh, church, and one of the cool things he told us about was this greenhouse that they wanted to build. And the greenhouse would be a way for them to raise money for their ministry, but also for Edward's family, right? And so we sent some money. It wasn't a large amount, right? It didn't seem like a large amount to us, right? But with that money, they're able to, to finish the church, to build this greenhouse, right? And we actually got to be there in person, and it was awesome. It was so cool to see, right? And one of the things that uh, just, I'm going to show you again, Nastia and uh, Edward, you know, like I said, she's like 21 years old, right? She's a pastor's wife, you know? And, and they're in a, a city that is incredibly poor. Uh, there's a lot of young people, but nine, about 90% of them leave. So they invest in these young people, and then they're gone, right? Within months, within years, right? And, and there's like hardly anyone their, their age, started this new church in a place where it's 90% Muslim, they're incredibly lonely, right? Why, why would you do that? Why, why, why would you serve in a place like that? I mean, it has to be God, right? That's like the only reason, right? And so I, I, I really feel a lot of, you know, love towards this couple, maybe just because I was staring at their picture for like three months, you know? But it was so neat to actually see them in 3D, you know, and to spend time with them. So uh, then we continued uh, west, and then we went to Karabalta. And so Karabalta is the place where Kaylin mentioned. This is the church with the, the cross on it. And uh, this is Fyodor. And if you guys don't remember, a few months ago, we were showing his picture every week. And Fyodor is a, a, a pastor who, um, he also works in construction. And so he's been helping uh, build the church in Karabalta. Karabalta is his home church. But he is kind of... Um, sent to many of the different churches in that area, right? We told you there's about five or six. And he works with a lot of young people. They, they say youth worker, but when they say youth, they actually mean young people. So it can be like high schoolers, but it also, also could be like young adults, people in their 20s, right? And so he's working with a lot of the young people. But Pastor Fyodor, uh, like I said, he also works in construction uh, because almost every pastor that we met does not pastor as a full-time job. They can't, right? I think I told you, Karabalta is the biggest church by far in that area. And their monthly offering is like maybe $300, $400 a month, right? That means that, you know, over the course of a year, right? I mean, that's like nothing, right? It's like $3,000, $4,000. A small church in America, you know what, like kind of the average um, income of a church in America is a small church, like our church. It's about $100,000, right? And the biggest church in Kyrgyzstan brings in about $3,000 a year. That's how poor they are, right? And so almost everyone has to work a second, third, fourth job. Pastor Nelia, who we showed you, uh, she cl cleans offices. She is an accountant, and her husband also has a store that she helps out in. She has three different jobs 
on top of being a pastor, right? And so, um, yeah, we, we've been trying to support um, Pastor Fyodor as well, and so we, we got to take a picture with him there. And this is the outside of the Carabalta Church uh, that Kaylin talked about, the, the one that's really small, and they got, got to really pack people in there. And Kaylin talked about that picture from three years ago. I actually wanted to show you this. And so uh, you can see Connie. This is she. Connie joined us three years ago and uh, Young. So this is three years ago, Carabalta, just the skeleton of it, right? And this is with a bigger uh, team. And so now this is what it looks like. It is not finished. They put about $40,000 into this church, and they had a lot of delays during COVID, as you can imagine, right? And, and a lot of times where it, they would just stop for months, you know? And so, you know, they gotten far, but in three years, I, I kind of expected more, to be honest, but they were just very limited by money. But the church in San Diego really, really had a heart for this church. And they've, uh, uh, you know, the church in San Diego has given um, lots of money, but in total, uh, they've, they've poured about $40,000 into this building. This is the pastor of Carabalta, um, and you can kind of see a little bit uh, bigger, like what it looks like inside. They're using that rock wall, by the way. <laughs> That's pretty much all it's being used for. They're just the youth kind of hang out in there right now until it gets finished. Um, and this is the spread that uh, Kaylin was talking about, where they put us in, it's like a Sunday school room. And uh, yeah, they packed us in there and they fed us so extravagantly. This very, very poor church. They were so generous, so kind to us. Um, and then this is Pastor Dima, who I told you about. He's like mid-30s. This is his church in Kindy. So pa- Pastor um, uh, Dima is the DS for 12 churches throughout Central Asia. He's got to travel a lot, but he's also the pastor of a local church. And this is a very, very small church. Um, I, I don't know if you can tell. Uh, I'm in the very edge of the church taking a picture like this. So you can kind of see how small this church is. This is not on a Sunday. This is the uh, U.S. team that's there. But the churches there are very, very, very small. So friends, why do I mention all of this? The story today uh, in the Gospels is about um, the kingdom of God, right? It's very clear that, you know, the setup is, as they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because he supposed that, because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. So he tells a parable about the kingdom. Uh, sometimes when you hear the Matthew version of this, the way we usually hear it, it because like uh, the Matthew version, the, the, the monetary amount is talents, right? And so it's just very easy for a preacher to, to just, you know, hook onto that, and then they just start talking about talents. Like, oh, you've all been given talents, and you have to invest your talents, right? Yes, that's true. But really what this story is about, in the Luke version, you can see it very clearly. It is about investment in the kingdom of God, right? And so we are told that there's a nobleman who went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. And calling 10 of his servants, he gave them 10 minas, so minas are, uh, uh, it's, it's a coin, right? Um, and it, it is worth about three months' wages. So that doesn't really mean much to us. But if you think like, like the average person in America, let's say just the average kind of like, you know, worker makes about $50,000 a year, just, you know, just for the sake to give us something to work with. So about three months would be about $12,000. That's how much it would feel. It's a good amount of money, right? It's not a fortune, 
but a good amount of money. So each person in this parable, right, the Matthew one is slightly different, but in this parable, each person, 10 people, they get 10 minas, uh, one mina each, right? 10 minas, 10 people, one mina each, right? And then he's told, he tells them, I want you to engage in business until I come. But we are told that his citizens hated him. And they sent him, uh, sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. So friends, this is what's going on. This man is trying to establish a kingdom, but his own citizens don't want him. You, 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 you wonder, some of these people, some of these 10 people do not want this man to reign over them, right? Kind of like in the West, <laughs> right? Um, really, he was probably talking about Israel. Right? And he was talking about Israel. He was talking about the fact that the Messiah was to come to Israel, but Israel would reject their own Messiah. Right? That's what Jesus is talking about. But I want to take this and talk about missions. And I think in a lot of places in the West, you know, Jesus, our king, we have rejected. We don't actually want the kingdom of God anymore. We've kind of rejected the king. But in this kind of environment, a lot of us have been given great gifts. We've been given so much material blessing, right? In the West, in America, right? We're one of the richest countries in, in, in the world, right? So we've been given these great resources, and then we're told, okay, use it wisely. What are we going to do with it, right? And so when he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him and say, Lord, your mina has made 10 minas more. Right? So one person, they tenfold increase, right? 10 minas out of one, right? In, in, incredibly successful. And he says, well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over 10 cities, right? So because you have been faithful, I'm going to give you even more. Even more authority. Even more blessing that you can do even more kingdom impact. That's the hope. That's the desire. If we are faithful with what God has given us, God will give us more to do, right? And the second came saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, you are to be over five cities. Then another came saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank and at my coming I might have collected it with interest? Now friends, by the way, is Jesus a severe businessman? Is he? I, heard, I saw some people go like this. No, he's a kind and gentle shepherd, right? We know that. He is not the same person, but there is an analogy being made, right? That, so this, this man was very, very harsh, right? Jesus is very, very gentle. And so we can't make a perfect analogy between this man and Jesus, but Jesus is the one telling the story, right? And he does have a question. What are you doing with your mina, right? And we're told that this one person did nothing with it. They were afraid. They didn't know what to do with it. They're like, oh my gosh, this guy might punish me if I lose it, right? So all they do is they take it and they just store it away. and They do nothing. Friends, I think, uh, not to stretch the metaphor too far, <laughs> but I think this is like the Western church. 
Certainly, Jesus was making this comparison for the people of Israel. They've received this inheritance. They were the chosen people of God. And now Jesus is asking, what are you going to do with this inheritance? I have given you these great blessings. What are you going to do with it? And he's saying, you've taken it and you've hid it because you were scared. What have we done in America? We have been given so much, so much material blessing, and we also have the gospel, right? Kaelin was sharing this, right? In places like Central Asia, and Central Asia, by the way, is still officially open, right? But it may not be for long. There was a time where it would have been very, very easy for Christians to come in and share the gospel. That day is gone. Why? Why is that day gone? Well, I mean, Pastor Steve, come on. Missions, it's so complicated, right? Like, like, like we have this legacy of missions where there's like colonialism. And people abused missions so that they could go into other countries and steal their land and resources. That's absolutely true. <laughs> that totally happens, right? But just because that's what some people did doesn't mean that's what every missionary has done, right? If you guys know the history, I mean, you know, I happen to be Korean-American. If you guys know the history of Korea, right, the reason why so many people know the gospel in Korea is because of missionaries, right? Missionaries came and they literally gave their life for these people that they did not know, right? Why did they do that? Out of love, out of love for God, and out of love for people that they didn't even know, right? Yes, there have been some bad missions. Don't, I mean, don't get it twisted, right? There's definitely evangelism that has been done in a way that is abusive, and I mean, there's the crusades, and there's all of this stuff that Christianity has done wrong. But make no mistake, I believe, friends, there's a lot that Christianity has done right. And for me, knowing about this Jesus has changed my life. What about your life? Has Jesus made your life better? For me, Jesus is the most important thing to me. I have some really not important things to me. <laughs> things like my love for retro video games, the Nintendo Entertainment System. And I'll talk about that with people for hours, like, hey, let me show you these old video games I used to play, Super Mario Brothers, da 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 I'll talk about that with strangers, but I won't talk about Jesus. The most important thing to me. Why? Because we're scared. We're so scared. We don't want to mess it up. We don't want to mess it up. And, and the church has been so scared that what I have been told, and please don't quote me on this, but I've heard from people who know better than I do, that in a lot of places, a lot of conferences, the United Methodist Church has almost completely given up on missions. Now, they have missions, but really what it is is humanitarian aid. It's disaster relief, which is important, right? But they've almost entirely given up on evangelism. Why? Because they're like, oh, you know, the history is so complicated, colonialism, all of this stuff, right? So, friends, you know who doesn't have any problem with going into a country and sharing their religion? You know who doesn't have any problem with that? Muslims. Zero problem. You know who has zero problem with separation between church and state? Muslims. <laughs> Not all Muslims, by the way. Don't get me wrong, right? Uh, there, there are people in Kyrgyzstan that are like, yo, let's keep out the militant ones out. But that's starting to change. 
right? In the atmosphere in places like Central Asia, the window is closing. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm trying to open your eyes. Because what you realize is the, the world is really, really, really big. And we, friends, have ignored a lot of it. This is, by the way, just an average street in Kyrgyzstan. Um, and, and you can see, like, there's a horse tied to a tree over there on the left, right? That's what an average uh, street looks like. Very poor country, right? I want to show you the most impressive building I saw in all of Kyrgyzstan. This is a mosque. Where do you get the money to build a building like that? Saudi Arabia, Turkey, right? These countries are pouring millions upon millions of dollars into Kyrgyzstan, into Central Asia, right? Because they would like these countries to be Muslim countries, as far as I know, right? And you'll see in some of these communities, now this is the biggest one in Kyrgyzstan, right? But you'll see in these communities, these little tiny dinky houses, and then all of a sudden you'll pass by what looks like a palace. It'll have a golden dome and golden parapets and golden towers. And you look at those, and someone on our team was like, are those Orthodox churches? Like, nah, those are not Orthodox churches. They're mosques, all of them, right? Where do they get the money for that? There's people pouring millions and millions and millions of dollars into these countries. Now, there are some people, very, very reasonable, right? There are people in the Kyrgyzstan government who are like, yeah, we're Muslim, but we're not going to prevent other people from practicing their religion. But not everyone feels that way. And there are some people who really kind of feel like, you know what, if you're not practicing what we consider the right religion, we have, right to, we have a right to do violence to you. And that's why people are scared. That's why people look before they go into a church. That's why no church I ever saw has any signage. They just look like houses, right? And so the question that I have, as I was thinking about this, and I was hearing the stories, I was like, what have we been doing as a church? What do we do with our mina? What did we do? We just took the mina and we hid it in our handkerchief and we said, we're scared. We don't want to lose it, but we don't want to do anything with it either. And then there are people like Helen Park who lost her husband. Credible, senseless act of violence. But she knew what she wanted to do with her mina. And friends, this is what Central Asia looks like in terms of churches. Okay, so Turkmenistan, Tajikistan, completely close to Christianity. You cannot go in there and start a church. Very, very difficult, right? You will be absolutely persecuted, thrown in jail, or worse. Uzbekistan, they used to have churches, United Methodist churches in Uzbekistan. There's still Christians in Uzbekistan, but the last United Methodist churches already closed in Uzbekistan. So if you can see, I put like a dotted X. Uzbekistan is not completely close to Christianity. It's getting close. And then here we have Kyrgyzstan and Kazakhstan. Kyrgyzstan, tiny, tiny country, has as many UMCs in Kyrgyzstan as there is in Kazakhstan, right? And so, friends, you ask, why are we going to Central Asia? Honestly, I didn't really know, other than I met this guy, Jonathan Park, and he told me about it, and something stirred in my heart. But as I was in Central Asia, I understood, because I've been given a mina. We have all been given a mina. 
And in some places, you put that mina in a certain kind of soil, in a certain kind of environment, and you might get one mina back, or maybe five minas back. But there's other places where you plant that seed, and you'll get 10 minas back. While we were there, we visited with uh, the bishop of Eastern Russia in the United Methodist Church. He's the bishop over all of Eastern Russia, over all of Central Asia, and the Urals. It is a humongous area, right? And this guy was actually brought to faith by Jonathan Park, the guy I told you about. When he was in, in college, he spent a, a, a summer in Russia. He met this young man named Edward, who's ethnically Korean, but uh, lived, was in Kazakhstan, you know, spoke Russian. And he brought this guy to faith. And decades later, this guy is now the bishop of the eastern part of Russia, right? And he was on his way to Kazakhstan, which is a much bigger, more significant country than Kyrgyzstan. But he decided to stop in Bishkek and stay for a couple of days. You know why? You know why? To meet with us. And I was like, wait, that makes no sense. Why would the bishop of all of Eastern Russia stop to, to get a meal with us? And what, what I realized, and Jonathan had told me this three years ago, and I didn't believe him. He said, when we come to Central Asia, we bring some money from our churches. And we basically fund all of these churches for an entire year. I was like, that can't be right. <laughs> what are you talking about? You fund all of Central Asia? Like, the, the church in, in San Diego is maybe a little bit bigger than LGM. And there's another church in San Jose that's about half the size of LGM, right? And we have only gone once before, right? So you're telling me these two churches have been funding 12 churches in all of Central Asia? All of the churches in the entire United Methodist Church? Largely, yes. There, there's a bigger mission organization in the UMC. You know how much money they give to Central Asia? This entire mission organization. All of last year, they gave $1,000. You know how much our church, other than the expenses that we've spent, that we've given to Central Asia? $2,500. Doesn't seem like a lot of money. But we've almost tripled what the GBGM, this entire mission arm of the UMC has done. What are we doing? I'm not saying disaster relief isn't important. But a lot of people are doing disaster relief. What is the church doing? And I'm telling you, friends, there are people who are hungry and thirsty for the gospel, right? And with just a little bit of money, right? I, I think the, the, those two churches, they raised about $10,000, right? We raised much less. But they are funding these churches. And so the bishop is like, oh, this team is here I'm going to stop. I'm going to make a layover <laughs> in Kyrgyzstan to meet with them because that's how much he values this ministry. It feels like we're doing nothing. But friends, I'm not saying that God won't send other people. But maybe, just maybe, God sent us. And what happens if Uzbekistan becomes an ex- Kyrgyzstan becomes an X, Kazakhstan becomes an X. Friends, there are so many opportunities for us to invest in different ministries. I'm not telling you Central Asia is the only way to <laughs> you know, invest in missions. But I'm just saying that you know, when you look at the world, right, 
I wonder if we aren't investing in places where we can have the highest return. We invest in places where it's easiest for us to go to. You know, please do not misunderstand me. I think missions to Mexico is incredibly valuable, right? And I think it's a really, really good thing for us to go and see the mission field. But I also know this, that, you know, Mexico is largely Christian, right? And maybe you go there, and maybe you do return a mina or two, right? It's still a good investment. But I do think there are other parts in this world where we can have 10 mina investments. We can have 20 mina investments. We can have 30 mina investments with very, very little. What about you in your own life, right? What are you investing in? I know, friends, I'm not saying this to make anyone feel guilty because I spend money, too, on myself, right? But, man, you know, when I think about, like, what I do with my money and the return I get from that, the little bit of enjoyment, the little gadgets I buy that I play with for a week, and I'm like, yay, I spent $500 on this. And a week later, I'm like, what do I do with this? Why did I buy this? Is that a good investment? (laughs) Or these things where we can have kingdom impact where people can know Jesus for eternity, and their children can know Jesus, and their children's children can know Jesus, and their children's children's children can know Jesus, right? What what, what is the comparison between that and what I've been doing with my life? Again, friends, I'm not saying this to make you feel guilty. I'm saying this to open up your eyes, because whether or not you want to see it or not, this is the reality. As we're flying back from Kyrgyzstan, um, uh, on Turkish Air, they show you, um, you know, the land that you're flying over. And, and they have, like, little dots on the map of all these countries and all these cities. And I realized, just to my kind of, like, <laughs> own sense of shame, that I didn't know any of these countries. I didn't know anything about them. I didn't know anything about their cities. All I've worried about all my life is just myself. And friends, again, you know, just search your own heart. But as far as I can tell, I've been given Amina. And as far as I can tell, you've been given Amina too. What are we going to do with it? Praise team, can you guys come up? Let's just take a moment to pray. You know, and maybe it's not missions. Maybe that's not what God is putting on your heart right now. If God's not putting that on your heart, don't worry about it. But maybe you can just ask, God, how do you want me to invest my life? How do you want me to invest my time? Right? Because maybe some of us, you know, we're, we're young. You know, some of us are students. We actually don't have a lot of money to invest. But you know what you have? You have time. Maybe there's someone you know that does not know Christ. Or they are lonely. Or they're, they're living in despair or anxiety. And if you were to invest a little bit of time in them, if you were to invest a little bit of love into them, if you were to invest prayers into them, what would be the the return on that? We don't know. But when you sow in the kingdom, friends, Jesus is the one who reaps. The Holy Spirit is the one who reaps. Who knows? If the soil is fertile, maybe it's 10 minas, 20 minas, 30 minas. We don't know. All we are told to do is to be faithful. So friends, let's pray. 
God, I, I know that this message is kind of hard to hear, Lord, because we have closed our eyes, Lord, for far too long to the rest of the world. Lord, we confess we have taken our mina and we have hidden it away. But Lord, teach us, God, and show us, Lord, that you have given us an incredible opportunity to sow for your kingdom and that you are the one who will ultimately reap these things, God. You are the one who will ultimately reap for eternal blessings, God, for people in the nations, God. But Lord, we know that in the West, we have been given this incredible inheritance of faith, of the gospel, of riches, of wealth. And God, help us, Lord, to just search our hearts, God, and and to be able to search yours, God, for how we can use this, Lord, for kingdom investment. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.